Yeah, as Dave was mentioning this morning, we are continuing uh, walking through a bunch of questions that you've asked. And um, by far, the most prevalent question that we got um, in a variety of different ways, it was asked in a lot of different ways in the poll, was questions regarding sexuality. <clears throat> and specifically questions about uh, homosexuality. And um, to just to give you a heads up on where we're going, I'm, I'm going to be talking about that next weekend. All the questions surrounding, well not all of them, a number of questions surrounding homosexuality. What, what does God think about that? What, what's our response as the church? What, um, what does that look like for us as believers? I mean, all, all sorts of stuff. So we're, we're going to get into that next week. But this week I want to kind of set the stage in a broader understanding of sexuality. Th there was one question that was asked uh, about what's the big deal about waiting for sex till I'm married that whole deal, and so we're going to get into that today, but just my, my hope this morning is that we lay a foundation for God's intent and God's desire and God's design for the gift of sex. Now listen, I mean, well, first, I'm talking simply to believers. If you're not a believer, I do not expect you to live uh, in submission to King Jesus in regard to anything, let alone your sexuality, Okay. So listen away, have fun, agree, disagree, that's, that's cool. I'm speaking to you specifically that profess Jesus Christ as Lord. Um, what does it look like to have Lord, the Lord Jesus be Lord over our sex and uh, that part of our lives? But with this, there's, just, there's always a weight in talking about sex because um, we just have a lot of hurt, a lot of baggage, a lot of mistakes, and, and with this in returns of sex, it's like, oh great, here we go, I'm going to get loaded with shame, and already some of you, I just know it, already some of you are just getting bombarded with shame, and let me remind you the truth to the gospel, Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, for those of you that are in Christ Jesus, this applies to you, there's now no condemnation for those of you that are in Christ Jesus, how much condemnation? Oh, that's awesome, isn't it? That you've been made white as snow from all of your sin. Um, some of you just brings up a lot of hurt, too, because you've been the victim of someone else's sexual sin. And uh, no, no fault of your own, no choosing of your own. And this brings up just that pain, too. So I just pray the Lord gives you grace in that pain today. I also want to remind you, though, if you've made a lot of mistakes in regards to sex, it I was thinking this morning, there's this verse where Jesus is talking about this woman who's like super sinful, and he's like, the one who's been forgiven of, the one who, who's been forgiven of much, loves much. Right? You understand, those of you that have walked in some deep sin, you understand God's grace and God's forgiveness to, to depths that others won't understand unless they've experienced that depth of sin. And so I just pray that the Lord would not remind you of, oh, the, just the, the weight of this, but he remind you of his grace in the midst of our mistakes. So don't go believe in the lie that the enemy's going to try to tell you this doesn't apply to you. This isn't, this, uh, you're beyond grace, you're beyond hope. That is, that is hot garbage and that is from the pit of hell. The other thing I want to caution you on this morning of, <clears throat> we have this temptation on a topic like this that we're going to be like, man, I'm glad my spouse is here to hear this one. Right? <laughs> glad my kids are here to hear this one. 
yeah, I am the, I'm glad they're here too, but I'm also glad that you're here. And, man, the Lord rocked me with this this week. But if we approach it like we have nothing to gain or we've already got this figured out, this is for other people, I think it hardens our heart to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. So I pray, I'm going to pray in a minute that the Holy Spirit softens our heart to receive whatever he has for us in this. Because, man, God wants freedom for us in this. God wants joy for us in this. God wants hope for us in this. I mean, he's got, this is good. Um, but there's a lot of baggage we carry that I think he wants us to deliver all that garbage from us this morning. Cool? <laughs> Not like you have a choice anyway, but <laughs> I don't even know why I asked that. Well, anyway, we're going there. So let's pray first. Woo, Jesus, I just, I feel the weight. But I thank you, Jesus, that your word says that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. God, I thank you that you are in the business of rescuing, delivering, saving, and healing. And I do speak against any condemnation. I command it to leave right now in Jesus' name. For those that have received the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, God, I pray that you give them revelation of the forgiveness that is theirs through the blood of Christ. I thank you that our righteousness is not found on our works. Our righteousness is not found on how pure we were this week. But our righteousness, our right standing with you, God, our purity and holiness is found and secured in the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ and in him alone. So I stand against any scheme of the enemy that wants to speak lies. Any scheme of the enemy that wants to stand here and bring shame and condemnation. Any scheme of Satan that wants to distract. And I say, get out of here in Jesus' name. Jesus, that you would point our eyes towards you this morning. Oh, Jesus, that you would revive our hearts for you. In any area, God, that we walked off the path in regards to sex, God, that you would draw us back to you, that you'd give us a wonder and awe of the splendor and the gift of sex that you've given us, God. But God, would you speak to each one of us, Lord, to the depth of our heart, God, in areas where we're maybe a, a little bit off or a lot off, and that you would draw us back to yourself. God, I pray that today you would pour out the gift of repentance, God, where needed, that you would draw us into godly grief, not worldly grief, but true godly grief that leads us to repentance. I pray for the ones that are caught up in the darkest uh, addiction, the ones that are most broken relationships, God, the, the ones that are at the wit's end, God, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them in their situation. I pray to God that hope would rise in this place, not because we're trying hard, because you are the God of hope and you are here. So God, would you manifest hope in this place? Would you manifest peace in this place? Would you manifest faith in this place, God, that those things would, would arise in Jesus' name? Oh, Lord, I need you. I mean, I always need you, but like, I, I really, really need you. And so, Holy Spirit, would you direct me where you want me to go and away from this stuff you just don't want me to touch today? Oh, God, I thank you that you are good, and you have good for us. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm just going to read this chunk, and then <clears throat> we're going we're gonna to talk through it. 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20.
I've been warned today to not talk with my hands too much when I'm talking about sex, so. <laughs> Just giving you a heads up, I'm going to try my best. Hands in the pocket, okay. <laughs> you think I'm kidding? No, I'm not. <laughs> All right. Self in 1 Corinthians 6, 12. This is some good stuff right here. Paul says this to the church in Corinth. The Holy Spirit, I believe, is speaking this to us today. He says this. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you are bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. It's really interesting to me how this section starts out talking about sex and sexual immorality is a verse that we talked about a couple weeks ago when I was talking about the question whether you can smoke weed or not. And, um, going through all the ABCDs, and the question being, am I dominated by anything? It's fascinating to me that this whole section talking about sex starts out with that, that reminder of, yeah, we have a lot of freedom in Christ, so much freedom in Christ, oh, it's awesome. But, he says, I will not be dominated by anything. And then he goes on to talk about sex, a question like, are we dominated by sex? And I think it's interesting when you start asking that question, are we dominated by sex, because I think there's the obvious one of like, hey, am I addicted to sex? Am I addicted to porn? Am I addicted to those things? Those are like the more obvious things like, wow, this stuff has, has dominion over me, and, and it shouldn't have any dominion over me. No one should have dominion over me except for Christ. But I think there are some other maybe more subtle ways that sex actually does have dominion over us, so we don't even realize it. Because if something has dominion over you, it gives you value, gives you worth gives you purpose, gives you pleasure. Something has dominion over you, it actually defines you. For how many of us do those things ring true about sex? Sex is what gives me value because someone wants me. Sex is what gives me purpose, it gives me a drive, it gives me this, you know, desire, it informs my decisions, what I'm going to do or don't do. Does this help me have sex with somebody, even my spouse? I think for a lot of us, our sexuality, we don't even realize it, but we've allowed our sexuality to actually be the thing that ultimately defines us. 
And we'll see here that that's not what the Lord has for us. But when we start buying into that thing, like, this is just who I am. I have these sexual desires. I'm just, I've got these needs. I need to have them satisfied. We start putting our identity in these actual desires. And, and where this gets played out, then I've, I've heard this. I'm taking it to an extreme example. But I've heard this where uh, this guy was in ministry. And he, and he got caught having affairs with a bunch of people. And his reason was, his excuse was, well, God made me with a huge, insatiable sexual appetite and it is just not possible for one woman to satisfy that need therefore i need all these other women to satisfy this need i have in essence he's saying yo it's just who i am god made me this way i gotta understand therefore it's okay for me to do that may be an extreme example but man don't we do that in other ways, too, of defining ourselves by our sexual need, our sexual appetite, and our sexual desires. I think that's fine. You can define yourself by that. However, our identity changes when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. This is what it says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. It talks about the works of the flesh, our sinful nature, the, the sinful desires we're born with. I mean, we're all born with all kinds of sinful desires. You, you know, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, and then it goes on like greed and anger and all these other things. Like there's a, a long list of things that are from our, uh, our, our sinful nature that we're born with that we can't control, but that's the good news of the gospel. And jump down in Galatians 5, 24 through 25, and it says this, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Listen, that's who you once were. You were once defined by your lustful passions. You were once defined by the desires that you had. You were once identified by your, your urges, your, your needs as sexuality, but that is no longer who you are. Your primary identity is now in Christ Jesus. You are now a son and daughter of the Most High. You are made righteous and white as snow and pure in the eyes of the Father. That's your identity now. You are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, we should no longer be denominated by our sexual desire. We should be dominated by Christ. Therefore, if we're dominated by Christ, he should be Lord over every area of our life, including the Lord over the bedroom and the Lord over our sex life. So what does it mean for Jesus to be Lord over our sex life? I think we have to understand first what happens with sex. It's unfortunate. I think it's unfortunate in the name of sexual freedom and sexual revolution that we've actually cheapened sex and robbed it of its true meaning and true gift. You see, something really profound and powerful happens in sex. I mean, you see this here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It, it talks about when you come together with some, you are joined with one body, you're joined, you're joined together, that's why he's saying, if you even sleep with, with, a, with a prostitute, even if it's like, oh, it's not a big deal, it's just a hookup thing, oh, it's not a big deal, it's just a one-time thing, there's nothing to it, it's meaning, not, that's nonsense, if you sleep with someone, what happens, it says here, is you become one flesh with them, well, what does that mean? 
you go back to Genesis chapter 2, and this is God's design for this and how it's supposed to operate. He created man and woman, took woman out of the rib of man, and he brought her before, and, and he says this in Galatians, or sorry, in Genesis 2, 24 and 25. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. I mean, this is like, one of the most beautiful pictures of what God designed us to be in this intimate marriage, in this intimate relationship of sex, is that in sex you were joined together as one flesh, but one flesh isn't simply just a, spir- a physical union, it's also a spiritual union. This image where it says two naked people standing before one another, and they are naked and unashamed, and the physical act of sex, of going to the deepest part of a woman where you're joined into the most deepest, most intimate way, that, that is a simply a culmination of the other ways that we are standing naked and unashamed before each other that we are bare with our emotion we're bare with our soul we're bare with our mind we're bare with our fear we're bare with all that before the other person and they in turn are the same with us sex then is the culmination of all of those things of being deeply joined and united together in all of those things wow what a gift from the lord Some say, well, what's the big deal if I do that before marriage? Well, one of the things that Jesus says is Jesus quotes this passage in Matthew chapter 19. He quotes this and he talks about, it's a conversation about divorce and marriage. And he quotes this verse saying, don't, don't be divorced, don't be separated because what God has joined together, let no one separate. Meaning that this oneness is supposed to take place through mar- only in the context of marriage. This is the boundary. I want to flesh this out here in just a second, but I, I want us to be clear on it. This is the boundary, is that God has designed sex to be in the confines of marriage. Anything outside of that is sexual immorality. Now, the temptation is like, well, that's lame. Wow, what's God want to do? Rob me of joy? Rob me of all this fun? No, no nonsense. He knows that if you walk in his way, it leads to life and life abundantly. You, you walk in a way of the flesh, it leads to death. Why don't I let my kids play in the road? I don't want them to die. God gives us these boundaries so that we could experience life, not death. It is a lie of the world that says, oh, this is freedom, this is freedom. And if we walk in the freedom of the world according to sex, among other things, it does not lead to freedom, it leads to bondage and it leads to death. Jesus says, yeah, sex is totally a gift. It's awesome. But... It is to be used in the confines of God's design, and that is in the picture of marriage and that alone. All right, the question is, why? What's, why, why would God want to do that? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 and 32, this is this whole section of this teaching on man and woman and, and their roles, and it's, just like in this, it's a beautiful picture of what marriage is supposed to be. And at the end of this, this is a really interesting thing. He quotes again the same passage from Genesis chapter 2. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. Oh, yes. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So what's he saying? 
He's saying that, yes, it's a beautiful picture of what marriage is supposed to look like, but this marriage is actually a picture of something greater. This marriage is actually to be a reflection of Christ's relationship with the church. So this image has been really helpful to me. There, there's a picture, why don't you throw this up here, of a shadow. Anyone know what that's a, a shadow of? Wow, that's really, you guys are good. I mean, I, it's amazing, like, if you look at like, how huge it is, especially in comparison to these people. Even the detail of the crown, you can see the arm extended. I mean, it, it's, it's, really, it's really cool. But here's the thing about the shadow. The shadow isn't the main point. It points to the main thing that's even better than the shadow itself. So we're going to talk about this idea of a shadow. The shadow should be an accurate representation of the original thing, which it's a reflection of, a shadow of. And so what we're saying here in Ephesians chapter 5 is that our marriage and sex in the context of marriage should be a picture, should be a glimpse to each other and to the world of what God's relationship with us is supposed to look like. So if we're going to get into what sex is supposed to be in the context of marriage, let's go to the original. What is it that we're modeling after? What is it that we're to be a shadow of? And what does it look like, our relationship with Christ and the church? Thanks, you can take those. It's interesting, throughout 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he goes back and forth all the time between the physical sex in a man and woman, but then he goes over to our, our oneness with Christ. He just goes back and forth because he understands there's a connection, there's a parallel between our relationship with a human, and how it's a picture of Christ in the church. And he, and he says this, verse uh, 615, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Down in verse 17, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Like sometimes I think we gloss over this. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, it's not just that we're saved from hell and not that we're saved for heaven. We receive a new identity where it says that we now are clothed with Christ. We become one with him. We are, we are united with him. Not that we become God, but because we have this close, intimate connection with him. That we are deeply connected in deep intimacy with him. That, that this idea of oneness and intimacy, though, it's wrapped around this covenant language. And a covenant is really important to understand the, the context of this oneness. Because covenant is very different than a contract relationship. A contract relationship is concerned primarily about myself, my own best interest. In a contract relationship, I'm trying to get the most I can for the least amount of money. Right? Think about it. You, you, you're going to buy a house or an apartment, a car, uh, a cell phone. You're trying to get the most for the least amount of money. It's interesting because a lot of us approach, approach marriage that way too. But what we're into with Jesus is a covenant relationship where he's saying, you want to enter this covenant with me? I'm laying down my entire life. I'm giving you everything that I am, and you in return give me everything that you are. I mean, what a deal for us, right? We come to Christ, we bring our shame, our guilt, our condemnation, our junk, our hang-ups, our addictions. We bring our future, our will, our desires. We bring all that. In return, we get his purity. We get his holiness. We get his forgiveness. We get his right standing with the Father. We get his righteousness. Because he doesn't just dangle out a little bit of eternal life, he gives us himself and his very life that we receive. And in turn, we just lay down our lives for him. Our bodies do not belong to ourselves. It belongs to the Lord. But it's the same thing for him. It's because he's laid down his life for us, and we get to now lay down our life for him. When a covenant is formed, 
blood was shed for the covenant. We see this throughout the Old Testament when God would form a covenant with his people, blood was shed. And so it's that interesting, the night Jesus would be, was betrayed, he's with his disciples and he's in the upper room and he takes the cup and he says, this is the cup of my blood, of a new covenant that's been shed for you. He's saying, I am going to bind myself to you in a permanent covenant with you because I am going to do the work of shedding my own blood because that's how much I love you. Because God has an understanding that love isn't what can I get from someone else. Love is based how much am I willing to give up for someone. The greater degree to which you love someone is the greater degree that which you're willing to give up for them. God himself said, this is how much I love you. I'm going to lay my life down for you. And in turn, we get the joy of laying our life down for him. To be received. But what, like what, what an incredible picture, right? Like there's such security in that permanency of the covenant. Because now I don't have to perform for the Lord. When I'm like, if I don't do enough good stuff today, is he going to kick me out? If I don't live up to my end of the deal, is he going to kick me out? No, because he's bound himself to me and says, I I am for you. There's security in this. There's permanency to this. It gives me freedom to come to the Lord and totally expose myself to be known by him and to know him. But if we're not secure in the love of the Lord, if we're not secure that he's not going to leave us or forsake us, then we don't bring our whole self to him. We hide some parts of him because we're afraid that he's going to reject us. When there's security in knowing, no, he's bound himself to me, that I can come before him and he's not going to reject me because I messed up this past week. Is that not a gift? It's awesome, too, because as we're connected with him in this intimacy, we get to be fruitful and multiply. We get to bear much fruit. We get to see him working through us and see his glory fill the earth as we walk in intimacy with him. I do think the greater degree to which we understand that helps us understand a greater degree by which we should, me- we should understand sex and marriage. You see, sex is designed to be this act of union between a, a man and a woman where they're joined together, right? And a man enters into the deepest part of the woman and just this joining, this union, this oneness, again, an outward expression of, of unity and, and in all these other areas, emotional, spiritual, and, and those types of things as well. But it's interesting because in marriage, this oneness and unity is also designed to be in the context of a covenant relationship. And in marriage, that's what you're doing. You're saying, I'm laying down my life for you, and you in turn are laying down your life for me. That there's security in that, that I can now stand before my spouse naked and unashamed. Yeah, physically, of course, but also emotionally, also spiritually, knowing that I'm not going to be rejected because she's bound herself to me because of the covenant of marriage that she's made. There's freedom in that. So, so often what we're going to do is like, I want to be known, I want to like get to know them, that's why I like having sex, because we get to know each other. No, there's no security in that. You're always trying to perform, you're always trying to put your best foot forward, you're always trying to prove yourself, because you don't know at any minute when are they going to be tired of you, when are they going to get mad at you, when are they not like something about you, and when are they going to bail? There's no security in that. God has designed this sex and this oneness and intimacy to be in the confines of the covenant of marriage, because there's freedom in it, not because there's restriction. There's total freedom. You know, it's wild, too. 
It's just as Jesus cut a covenant with us in his own blood. I believe that's what happens in marriage too. See, there's a part of a woman's body in her vaginal canal called the hymen. And the hymen is a is part of skin that even doctors are like, what in the world is the hymen for? No one really knows, except when you look at it through the context of the Bible and the context of what a covenant is. That for many women, when they have sex for the first time, and God's not right to have this first time with your husband, that when the man enters the woman, it breaks, it tears the hymen, and blood is shed. Why? Because they're cutting a covenant together. They're, they're binding themselves through blood. I'm saying I'm no longer concerned primarily about myself. I'm concerned about us because we are being joined together. This is not a casual thing of just like, hey, let's mess around, fool around. You are binding yourself. That's why it has consequences. It's saying even if you go have sex with a prostitute or have sex with someone else, you're binding yourself to them and there are consequences. Now, don't get me wrong. The Lord can f f bring healing and deliverance from all that. But it is not a casual physical thing. You are binding yourself to someone else when you have sex with them. And in marriage, oh. Where you're laying your life down for your spouse, saying, my body does not belong to me, and your body does not belong to you, that we are willingly laying down our life for one another. That we get to live into the command together to be fruitful and multiply, and as we make physical babies, there's blessing in that, but it's also a reflection of the spiritual reality that we get to be fruitful and multiply in a spiritual sense as well. Tend to, we tend to describe sexual immorality as the obvious stuff. Having an affair, porn, whatever. If I have time, I'll explain why that's not of the Lord. But I'm afraid that so often in Christian marriages... Our sex life looks just like the world's, except we just say the name of Jesus. Now you're saying, no, I don't. I don't have affairs. I don't, I don't, we don't cheat and all those things. Okay, fine. That's cool. But should not the way we approach and look at sex be different than the way that the world looks at sex? So often, we simply turn sex into a physical act in a relief of a physical need. Where all of a sudden we're we, we can't wait to get married because I got these sexual urges, I got these sexual desires, and I can't wait to be married so that my spouse can fulfill my sexual not need and sexual desire. That's a problem. I mean, there's, there's, that's a problem if you're getting married just so you can have your needs be met because uh, I'm going to tell you this, that your spouse is not going to be able to meet all your needs, nor are they designed to. Because when we approach sex that way, it's... It's what can I get out of it? My needs being met. And oftentimes we do that in marriage. How often is it like, hey, baby, it's been like two days. It's been like three days. I got these needs. I got them. I need them. I need to have sex. And then all of a sudden the other spouse is like, oh, fine. I'll just get it over with. So you get off my back. And I'm not trying to be. No, I am trying to be blunt. Yes. Um, 
I just think there's so much of the flesh that has creeped into to marriage, and then all we see sex for is a release of a physical need that I have, rather than something that we should be building towards in anticipation of, this is a way that I get to walk in deeper intimacy and deeper oneness with you. I can't wait to have sex, not because, oh, I'm really horny and I need, whatever, um, but like... I, I, no, I, I'm, I'm serious. I'm, I'm sorry to be crass, but that's what we treat as. We treat a gift of the Lord as something that we throw away, even in the context of Christian marriage, and say, that's a need, babe, let's go do it, rather than this understanding that there's something dramatically spiritual that takes place in the union of sex. And so often the Lord is separate from what happens in the bedroom. By the Lord present outside the bedroom, we'll go do our stuff in the bedroom, and then we come right back out. Rather than understanding that God has given us sex as a gift to be united with our spouse. So that we can give to them, not just, I got a need, baby. Let's go. I think it's unfortunate then because then we see intimacy through the entirely wrong light. We see intimacy only in terms of physical intimacy. And don't get me wrong, that's part. It's great. It's awesome. But physical intimacy is only part of what intimacy is. God has allowed us to be naked and unashamed with our spouse. That means we get to grow in intimacy in our, in our emotion with our spouse, with our mind with our spouse, with our spirit and our soul with our spouse. The physical intimacy is just like one part of intimacy, but so often we've boiled down sex to be, or intimacy in marriage to simply be about sex, is that we go from orgasm to orgasm thinking that's intimacy and that's a lie. They would orgasm, orgasm, because, well, that's an easy 30 minutes or three minutes or whatever. Um, just relax, it's okay. Man. But seriously, it's easy to get in the sack and have an orgasm. It's a lot more difficult to cultivate intimacy in relationship through my emotion, through my mind, in between orgasms. Am I right? But we've settled for so much less of true intimacy. And I'm not even that surprised because honestly, don't we do that with the Lord so often? We wait for the orgasmic experience with the Lord of these big mountaintop highs. We've got to come to church. I've got to really experience the Lord. And there's nothing that we cultivate intimacy with the Lord during the week until we come back together again. That's not true intimacy. What would it look like in the spiritual sense if we were cultivating intimacy through the day by day, spending time with the Lord, sharing our heart, bearing our soul to the Lord, listening to him, spending time with him, enjoying him, singing to him. And then when we come together and, and there's a bigger experience, it, it is an overflow of the intimacy that we've been cultivating during the week. What if our sex life looked like that too, where we're cultivating intimacy with our spouse by shutting the stupid TV off, taking our phone away, and simply connecting heart to heart, sharing what's going on in our heart, sharing our minds, sharing our soul, and then when we come together in the bedroom, it is simply an outward expression or culmination of the intimacy that we have in every, every, every other area of our lives. Does that not change how we view sex? That, I think, puts it much more back into the gift that God's given us. Sex is awesome it's a gift from the lord but sex isn't awesome just because it's an orgasmic release it's awesome because it's two becoming one and being joined together through the holy bond uh, uh, expressing that holy bond and union that god's given us in marriage that is an incredible gift of the lord Whew. There are other things too. Oh, 
Hold on. I know, so, I know a lot of you are single. A lot of you are single. And sometimes the question is like, all right, like, so what about, what about me? Here's the good news for those of you that are single. Because your identity is not in your sexuality, your identity is not in your sex drive, and that sex is merely a shadow of the real thing, even if you don't experience the shadow, you can experience the fullness of what God's called you to be through intimacy and relationship with him because you get the real deal. Man, I'm sorry. For too long in the church, we have made marriage the point. So we've been like, so uh, when do you get married? Maybe you're being too picky. Honestly. You know what we're saying? It's like, hey, lower the bar because the point is just being married. Then you're going to be happy once you get married. That's a hogwash. You are fully accepted by the Lord as a single person. You are fully able to be used by the Lord as a single person. In fact, Paul says later on in First Corinthians, the very next chapter, he says, listen, I wish you all be single. Singleness is an incredible gift. You are not less than, you're not second-class citizen. You are fully accepted and used by the Lord, and you get an incredible gift if you're walking in singleness. But because we're not mastered or dominated by our sexual desire, therefore you can walk in singleness for as long as the Lord has you and walking in purity and holiness. And it is not a, a, a ridiculous idea because you're no longer slave to your sinful desire. You're now slave to Christ. So man, I love you single people. If the Lord brings you someone, that's cool too. Marriage is a gift. But so is singleness. It's crazy, right? It says here that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't apply once you get married. That starts now. Okay, a couple other things. Um, this is why, like, pornography is just not right. It's like, who is it har harming? It's giving you a false understanding of intimacy. You don't know them. They don't know you. You don't know your heart, soul, mind, body. They don't know any of that. You're using them for your own selfish purposes to simply meet a need that you have. That is not what God has in mind for sexual holiness. There are some that I know want to um, justify pornography because it's better than sleeping around. That's not true. It's a sin. There's some of you who are married that want to justify pornography because it's like, it's cool because we, it. we do it together so we're okay with it. That is a lie also from the pit of hell because you're introducing someone else in your bedroom and instead of being intimate with one another, you're bringing in a third party and that needs to stop. That's called sin. There's a move right now towards like sex, there's like sex robots and those types of things that are coming up. And well, why is that wrong? Who's that harming? You're not joining yourself to them. They have no soul. They have no, no spirit. You're joining yourself with a, a plastic robot, which is weird, right? But like, if, if we see sex as purely a physical release, then it makes total sense. Oh, it's just a release. It's not. It's being joined together, mind, body, soul, and spirit with another person. Can't happen with a robot or a doll or anything else like that, right? What about, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. One more thing back to you single people. You were single, you were dating. There is a temptation to lower the bar because you don't want to be alone. You can find total fulfillment, joy, peace, delight, and purpose in Christ. And that's where we should find it. Our marriage is simply to be an overflow of our intimacy with Christ, not... To where we need to find our need, our worth, our value, our wants. 
So there's this temptation as you single people is that you're going to want to lower the bar for someone and be like, oh, they're good enough. And then there's even more of a temptation than that creeps in that you're going to want to marry someone that does not pursue Jesus like you pursue Jesus. The Bible says do not be unequally yoked. I cannot tell you how important that is because I will see you in a year or two years and be like, they just don't model marriage after Christ in the church. Of course they don't. They don't value that for their own lives. They're not going to treat you the way Christ treated the church. They're not going to lay their life down for you. The marriage is about their needs being met, my wants being satisfied, my rights being invoked, rather than giving up my own life for the sake of us together. They're not going to do it because they don't value what Christ has done for them. So if you're unequally yoked, ask the Lord what you should do. He says in a word. Right? And I know that's hard because you love that person. I, I get it. If you want your marriage to honor the Lord, have a marriage that accurately represents who he is. Okay. Oh, so many things. The question that often comes with this is like, okay, so I'm single, I'm dating, I'm not married. How far can I go before it's considered sexual immorality? Right? Right? It's a question I was asking in high school and college. How far is the line before it's like, oh, that's sin, that's sexual morality? Let me tell you this. Wrong question. What it says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, flee from sexual immorality. Flee from sexual immorality, which means not, hey, how close to the line can I get before it's too far, but run away from sin and run towards holiness. I like it says in like Ephesians, I don't know, it's like 3, 4, something like that. It says, let there not even be a hint, like a whiff, a scent of sexual immorality. Don't dabble. Don't get close to the line. Run from it. Run towards holiness. It says here, honor God with your body. So your question shouldn't be, ah, is this, is this over the line or not over the line? The question should be, is this honoring to Jesus? Because again, it, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, meaning that in everything you do, there's, it's a spiritual component because he is with you. So it's not all of a sudden like you're making out with your girlfriend or getting all like handsy or whatever. You know, like, it's not like Jesus is separate from that. He's there. And so as he's there, ask yourself the question, is this glorifying God and bringing honor to him? Some of you are in relationships right now and you're doing stuff that just are not honoring to the Lord. And he's just inviting you back. So like, I, I need to stop. And you know, listen... So I don't mean to like look at you college students, you're all over, right? But like, it's, just, it's especially prevalent for you. Because you live in a culture that's like, what's the big deal? You got needs, meet it. That's garbage. You're, you're on a trajectory of walking in intimacy with a man and a woman. If you have a low bar of sex now that it's, oh, it's just this physical thing, why is that going to change once you get married? If you have no self-control now, what's going to make you think all of a sudden self-control is going to magically come when you get married? Let me inform you, it doesn't. You walking in purity and holiness now prepares you, if God's got the gift of marriage for you, it prepares you to walk in self-control and holiness in marriage. Because don't you need self-control in marriage? But even if you don't get married, God's preparing you for a life of self-control because that's one of the fruit of the Spirit. So what's the line? You're going to have to ask the Lord on that one. The question is, am I bringing honor to the Lord? And I will tell you this, for some of you, this is going to sound radical, it's going to sound whatever. Okay, okay. For some of you, that may mean not even kissing your boyfriend or girlfriend is going to be acceptable because it's what it says in Song of Solomon. Do not awaken love before it's time. 
That's so weird. We should look weird to the world. Some of you, that's not going to be a problem. I don't know. Ask the Lord. Is this honoring to the Lord? My prayer for us, Moran Park, is that we would, we would take our sexual desires, we would take all these things, and we lay them bare before the Lord, and just say, God, I, I want your heart for, for what's right in this. I, I want to I, I walk in honor to you. And here's the good news. Some of you, again, this just brings up all the ways that you've screwed up. Like, some of you screwed up literally last night. Here's the good news of the gospel. Even if you get it wrong, this little sh- this shadow idea of like what sex is supposed to be, even if you get that wrong, that we are invited because of the intimacy that we have with King Jesus. We get to walk back to him today and say, oh, I thank you for your grace. Oh, I thank you for your love. I thank you that I'm pure and made white as snow. God, I thank you that you accept me and do not reject me because I screwed up last night. God, would you give me the grace to walk in what is right? Do not let condemnation drive you away from Jesus. Let the conviction of sin drive you back to him so that we could walk in holiness with one another. God has given us the gift of sex. It is an incredible gift of sex. But it's to be used as he calls us to use it. Which is understanding that it's not just a physical need being met. deliberate act of unity and oneness it's a culmination of our unity and connection emotionally spiritually and physically as well that we get the gift of reflecting christ in the church in our marriage and our sex life that is a high calling from the lord but through the power of the holy spirit he will equip us to do it and i know some of you are like oh that seems impossible i'm so far off Yeah, I know, that's the beauty of grace, right? That he will equip you step by step. And if you mess up, okay, get back on. Okay, keep walking, keep walking what he has for us. Don't lower the bar. There is this temptation to lower the bar because it seems impossible or it seems weird. And we justify all kinds of sin because it seems crazy to try to live up to the bar that Jesus attains. And in the flesh, we will not be able to attain it on our own. But I praise the Lord that we now no longer live, but it's Christ who lives within us. Jesus who walked in perfect self-control, in perfect holiness, in perfect submission to the Father. He lives within us and will manifest himself so that we can manifest that kind of life in our marriages, in our singleness, and in our dating. Moran Park, you are holy, set apart people. This world is not your home. You are freaks. But the path of this world leads to death and destruction, bondage and decay. Jesus has rescued us from that darkness and brought us into the kingdom of light, one of freedom, one of hope, one of deliverance, and one of life and life abundantly. Let's walk with him and his idea of sex. Let's pray. God, we know that. I just reminded that sex is a picture of of Christ the church, and it's going to cease when you return. So God, would you cause us to not make sex the main point, the main focus, the main desire of our lives, God, but we would keep you the focus, God, that all things would be done in submission to you.
God, we repent of any ways that we've made sex our God. We've made sex the thing that has dominated us. God, would you, for those of us that sex has dominated us, God, would you set us free today? God, for those that are wrestling, like, I don't know if I want to. I love my sex life. God, I pray that you would show them your beauty and your splendor, that it's better than being dominated by their sex life. God, I pray that you would release us and deliver us from selfishness and self-centeredness, that we wouldn't approach our marriages as something to get from our spouse, but laying our lives down for one another, God. God, I pray for, the, uh, yeah, I, I pray for those married couples. They're, they're going to need to have some conversations today. God, I pray for the grace to ask for forgiveness where forgiveness is needed. I pray for the grace to extend forgiveness where forgiveness is needed. God, I pray that you would cause us to fight for our marriages in, in this area and in all areas of intimacy, God, that you would cause us to fight for our marriage, but that we wouldn't do it in an antagonistic way or a vengeful way, but we do it in humility and do it in grace. I pray for my single brothers and sisters, God, that you give them a heart and a vision for purity and holiness, God, that, uh, that, that we can experience fullness in you, and so I pray for their grace to walk in purity and holiness. God, in any way that we're just off in this, in any way that we're not walking in what you have for us, God, I pray that you would convict us, point it out, God, so that we can turn it back to you and walk in life and walk in freedom and walk in joy. Thank you for the gift of sex. Thank you that we get to enjoy that in marriage, God. But God, we want more. We want more of what you have for us. We don't want to settle for less. So we, try, we ask you for the grace to walk in the more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.